Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Bold Boundaries with me, Diana Terry. Um, today we are talking about anxiety. Um, it's a it's a heavy topic. Three point six percent of people worldwide suffer from anxiety, and that sounds like a small percentage, but that's two hundred sixty four million people that suffer from anxiety at some point in their adult lives. And interestingly enough, four point six percent of females suffer from anxiety, whereas 2.6% of males suffer from anxiety. So that's an interesting statistic just to think about. But today we are talking about anxiety. We're talking about what it is. We're talking about how it feels. And you're going to learn some strategies to address your anxiety in the moment, things you can do on a daily basis, some habits and routines that you can do daily to help prevent it from getting so bad. Um, and just maybe feel a little seen <laughs> in this this conversation today about anxiety. So I'm really excited. Don't forget that um, if you prefer video, you can go over and watch this on YouTube um, at Bold Boundaries on YouTube. Um, the link will be in the description of the podcast. And I'm excited, a little anxious for this topic today. No, not really. I'm excited. <clears throat> so let's get straight into it. Hey there, welcome to Bold Boundaries with me, Diana Terry. I'm a boundaries coach, mother, wife, entrepreneur, and founder of Unlearning University, a space dedicated to unlearning the toxic behaviors, stereotypes, and systems that hold you back from living a truly happy life. So for me, understanding and setting boundaries has literally changed my life. I went from being overworked, overwhelmed and unhappy to balanced and thriving simply by learning how and when to set healthy boundaries. And now I'm sharing everything I've learned with you here to help you set boundaries and live a happier, more authentic life. Let's start the conversation. All right. So we are talking about anxiety. I bring this up because um, I struggle with anxiety. My wife, my son, and my daughter, we all struggle with anxiety. And it, it comes out in different ways for each of us. For each of us, it presents differently in our lives. So um, understanding anxiety and what it actually is and separating that from how it feels can be like a really big step in making progress in addressing it because how it feels and what it actually is are two very different things. Um, Brene Brown in her book, Atlas of the Heart, she starts her section on anxiety by saying that to her, it's that opening scene in Willy Wonka where they're in the boat and it goes through the magical land and then it turns like dark and scary and Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder's character is just reciting this poem And she's like, that's what anxiety feels like to me. An escalating loss of control, worst case scenario thinking and imagery and total uncertainty. That's what Brene Brown says anxiety feels like to her. It's interesting because for for my wife, anxiety is very overwhelming. And her response to anxiety is a very common one. 
it's perfectionism or, you know, gaining control over the things that you have control over. So cleaning the house, um, putting things in order, things like that, small things that you have control over that seemingly make us feel better. Whereas my response to anxiety is I get overwhelmed. Anxiety is linked to overwhelm. And I get overwhelmed and I shut down. So when I get too anxious, I freeze. I I can't do anything. And I look very calm. I'll sit on the couch and I'll be like, I'll just read. What you think I'm doing is reading and understanding a book. What I'm doing is rereading a page six times because I'm just ignoring whatever I can to (laughs) deal with being overwhelmed. So uh, it presents very differently in us as different people. So that's something interesting to take note of. Um, But another thing to understand is the difference between stress and anxiety, because those are two different things as well. Now, stress can lead to anxiety, but they are not the same thing. So stress is a reaction to an external trigger. And this information is coming from an article I read on the Harvard Business Review, which I will link in the description below. YouTube and podcast, wherever you're listening. Um, It's a really interesting article. So stress is a reaction to an external trigger, uh, whereas anxiety is a response to an internal trigger. Um, Thoughts of the past or the future or what could be, those are, that's anxiety. It's a stress to an internal trigger. So um, what I like to describe it as, the way that I understand anxiety now after lots of reading and experiencing it in therapy. For me, anxiety is living in the gap between what's actually happening. So what's real and what we think is happening or going to happen or projecting. So there's this gap between like right now, like the reality of right now is I am sitting in my room. I've got headphones on. I'm sitting in a chair. I'm recording a podcast episode. That is the reality. What's not real is me sitting here thinking, oh, what if people don't like this episode? What if um, somebody hates it and puts a bad comment? What if um, nobody wants to hear me talk about anxiety? That's anxiety because that's not real. That's that's the gap between the reality of the situation is I'm, exi- I'm recording a content that I feel passionate about and I'm sharing what I know about it, not claiming that I'm a professional or a doctor or a mental health professional in any way. I'm simply sharing what I've read and I know for people that might listen and want to hear this perspective who don't have the time to go research it, research it in air quotes. But you know what I mean. So that's an example. So what happens when we're living in this gap between reality and what might be or should be or our assumptions about things or our dread, a couple things happen when we live in this gap. When we're in this space, a couple things happen. One is something called rumination. And I want to say I I can almost guarantee that if you have anxiety, you've done this. So rumination is that (laughs) feeling of like, you know, when you like, I go to coffee shops a lot. I like to work at coffee shops. And if someone gives you your coffee and they go, oh, enjoy your coffee. And you're like, oh, you too. And then you sit there and you're like, why did I say you too? They're not drinking coffee. I could have said, have a great day or just thank you. But no, I said, oh, you too. And then I continue to think about that interaction because it was awkward or it felt weird. That's an example of rumination is we did something awkward or something we feel is weird and we keep thinking about it. I keep thinking about it. 
The reality is it's already been said and done. It's in the past. No matter how much I think about it, it's not going to change what happened. So that's rumination. Another another thing we do when we're living in the gap is catastrophizing. And I mean, we've all done this. A, a lot of people I know when they become parents, this this amps up a lot is the catastrophizing. It's, oh my God, what if, and then insert worst case scenario. Oh, someone's late for a meeting. Maybe they got in a car accident or maybe they don't want to work with me or um, oh yeah, my wife is late getting getting home from school. She must have gotten in a car accident. She's in the hospital. Or um, for kids, for younger kids who are dealing with anxiety, uh, it could be like, mm, I had a test. I know I failed. I must have failed that test in school. I just know I failed, even though they didn't. So catastrophizing is imagining the worst case scenario and then responding to that as if it's real. And get our body gets like amped up in response to that as if it's real because we're allowing it to be real in our in our head and in our mind. And the power that anxiety can have when we let it run free sucks. (laughs) It sucks that it can be so strong and can have such an impact on how we choose to live our lives. So I, I see this all the time. If, if we have a struggle with the kids or, you know, my wife deals with a lot of anxiety. When she does that, I, I have to take a step back and be like, none of this is like, this isn't real. We're not responding to anything real right now. And it's a lot easier for me outside of the situation to notice it in her as opposed to her noticing it in herself because she's so used to this. But one thing I want, another thing that made me think of anxiety is Jay Shetty has this um, idea that he talks about where he says, I am not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I'm what I think you think I am. So I'm sitting here thinking about your assumptions that you think about me and then assuming those as reality in myself and responding to those things as if they are true and they're not true. They're just not true. And that's that's another way to think about anxiety is I'm responding. It's when I give the power and weight to my assumptions or the shoulds or the what I think might happen and react to them as if they are true. That's when I fall deep into anxiety. And that's when it starts to really affect my life, my ability to sleep, my work, my parenting, everything. It affects everything. So what we're going to talk about now, now that we understand that anxiety is living in the gap between what is real and what we are imagining, catastrophizing, ruminating on, or assuming or think should be real. When we live in that gap, we are living living in anxiety. And what to do when we're in there is what we're going to talk about now. So um, one thing that I I recently had some medical stuff go on. And I was sitting in a doctor's office, a neurologist, and I started to freak out. And I was by myself. You know, my wife wasn't with me or anything. And I started to get nervous because she came in. We had a conversation. She goes, oh, let me just, I'll be right back. And then she left for like 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, my brain started going, oh, what if, 
What if something bad is happening? What if she saw something on a scan that she's scared about and can't tell me because that's not her place? I went down the rabbit hole and I went so fast and so far. I started to get really worked up. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I, I can't, I can't do this. Like I cannot feel this way in this doctor's office. And I sat there and I said out loud in the office, I'm talking to nobody or the wall or whatever. And I said, listen, Diana, no matter what I imagine to be happening, whether I freak out or not, does not change the reality that I am sitting in a room waiting, waiting. Whatever I do now, however I react, doesn't change whatever was on a scan. It doesn't change lab work. It doesn't change anything about the situation. All it does is increase my heart rate, increase my blood pressure. It makes me feel crazy. So I said, I am going to have radical acceptance for the world in this moment as it is in this room right now. And I just kept repeating the words radical acceptance, radical acceptance. And that makes sense to me because I have this understanding for, of what radical acceptance is for me. And so radical acceptance is when you shed everything that your mind is putting on top of reality. So the reality for me, if you're watching me on video or listening right now, the reality for me is I'm sitting at a desk in a comfy chair recording an episode with my headphones on looking into a camera. That is reality. Anything on top of that, that should be or assumptions or the rabbit hole that our brain goes down, that's all anxiety. That's all extra. That's that's my brain creating a story to fill in the things it doesn't know. So right now, I don't know what's going to happen in that doctor's office. I didn't know what was going to happen. So my brain said, don't worry, Diana, I'll give you a story so that you don't have to sit with the uncomfortable feeling of not knowing. You can then focus on this imaginary story and be upset about that because that feels like you have more right to be upset about it. So rather than letting my brain create a story to fill in the uncomfortable feeling of not knowing, I simply said, no, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to breathe. I like to do what's called a box breath. A lot of um, a lot of doctors and people recommend a box breath for anxiety. A box breath is where you breathe in for four seconds, hold the breath for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, and hold for four seconds, and then repeat it. And what it does is it lowers your, um, I think it lowers your blood pressure, but it allows your body to breathe and come back into itself. Another way that you can have radical acceptance um, is to either do a body scan or a room scan. So for some people, anxiety feels like an out-of-body experience, like I am not within myself. I cannot feel myself. I feel disconnected from my body. If that's how you experience anxiety, do a body scan. And a body scan can take a few minutes. It can take 10 if you need to space it out. But essentially, you start from head to toe. And I want you to, you can close your eyes if you need to, or you can leave them open. And you just simply start to connect with each parts of your body. Um, Or you can go outward in. So you can start with your fingertips and touch your fingertips together. Sometimes you can go thumb to first finger, second, third pinky, and go back until you can feel your fingertips. Okay, then you can kind of rub your hands together and feel them and just say, okay, I feel my hands, I'm in my body. Okay, 
notice your eyes. Are they, are they stressed out? Can you relax your eyes? A lot of times when we're tense, our tongue is sitting at the top of our, the roof of our mouth. If you can pay attention to that, see how your tongue feels right now, relax your tongue, take it down from the roof of your mouth, relax your jaw, take a deep breath, find the tension in your shoulders, pay attention to your shoulders and say, oh my gosh, those are really tense. Okay, I'm going to choose to relax those. Maybe roll your shoulders back. And you can do this from top to bottom, from outward in until you have addressed every single part of your body. And that is what you focus on in that moment. And when you do a body scan, it helps us come back into ourselves. So we're feeling less detached. Another thing you can do is a room scan. If you are very present in your body, which some people feel anxiety like that, they are extremely present in their body and everything else outside of our body feels big. So everything feels 10 times louder than it is. Even the slightest wind can feel like razor blades on your skin, something like that, where the environment feels very activating. When you do, when you, that's how you experience anxiety, you can do what's called a room scan. So what, for me right now, I can say, okay, I'm going to notice five colors in the room. Okay, my wall is blue, the plant is green, the bookshelf is brown wood, the carpet is beige, and, and then do that. And then you can say, okay, close your eyes, can you smell anything in the room? Okay, I smell coffee, I smell, I don't know, the perfume I'm wearing, and then you can say, are there any textures in the room that you can see? Can you feel any textures? Like I can feel the fabric on the chair and, and the wood of the desk and things like that. That's called a room scan. And that can help you get more in touch with the reality of the room, not the overly exaggerated anxiety version of the room. So we can have that moment of radical acceptance. We can use a body scan and a room scan to get there. And then the last one that I use, there's there's so many techniques. I mean, mindfulness every day, things like that. The last one I use in that moment of anxiety is sometimes I put a time boundary on my ability to freak out. Sometimes I'm like, I can't just stop freaking out. I'm, I'm anxious. So I will, it's a two-step process. First, we set a timer for how long, and I'm talking max of five minutes, maybe two minutes, you have to know yourself and see how how long you can let yourself go without it tip, like being a tipping point into a not so fun place. So set a timer, maximum five minutes and say, I'm allowed to freak out for five minutes. But the important step here is to have an activity, a pattern interrupt activity ready to go when that timer is up. So you say, OK, I'm allowed to freak out for five minutes and then I'm going to take a, a walk outside. I'm going to take the dogs out on a walk. Or I'm allowed to freak out for five minutes and then I'm going to take a shower. Or I'm going to do some yoga. Or I'm going to listen to a podcast. Whatever it is, it needs to be a pattern interrupt to get you your mind to focus on something else. Going outside, getting sunshine is a very good pattern interrupt. Um, meditation can be a good pattern interrupt, although that one can be hard to do right out of this five minutes of allowing yourself to freak out, but mindfulness, a breathing activity, anything like that. But have it lined up so that the second your alarm goes off, you do that activity. Now, during this freak out time, cry, get out of the emotions. If you need to journal while you're freaking out, if you like to write things down, that's a very healthy way to get it out of your brain so that you could read it back when you're in a calmer state of mind, be like, 
how much of this was reality and how much was catastrophizing how much was ruminating on things that had already happened how much you can go through journaling is great in anxiety because you can go through and say oh this wasn't actually real but set a time boundary on your anxiety set a time boundary give yourself that moment to let it get big feel the emotions and then find a way to come back out using those techniques that we mentioned you can use a body scan to come out of it afterwards But these steps can help you get to a more radical acceptance of the world as it is, not as we are assuming or putting things onto it. So that's what you can do in the moments of anxiety to address it there and hopefully take those anxiety, panic attacks, whatever, from larger spaces of time down to smaller spaces of time, which then allows you more freedom in your life. If your anxiety becomes less powerful over you, you have more freedom in your life to take that time and apply it to positive things and positive change. Some things you can do, they say that habits are very helpful. If you have daily habits that are healthy for you, can help you in understanding your calm base level on a daily basis. If you get in touch with that on a daily basis, then when you do have anxiety attacks or when anxiety creeps up, it's usually easier for you to get back there. So one example of this is meditation. If you spend five minutes a day meditating, guided meditations are great. I love Gabby Bernstein's guided meditations. They're fantastic. She has some specifically for anxiety. But if you do that every day, then your body gets used to the process of you getting into that calm meditative state. So do it when you're not activated. Say every morning I wake up, I have my tea or my coffee, and I do a five-minute meditation. You are practicing and giving your body the practice to understand how it feels to come to this space. So then when you try to use that meditation during anxiety, your body is familiar with the process and says, oh, we've triggered this process that we've been doing, and I know that when I do this process, I feel calmer. So your body is more likely to respond to that. Little habits every day of getting sunshine, going for walks, they say, is a huge, huge impact on anxiety. Last night we went, we took the kids. This is one word I'm trying to implement more in my life. Uh, We have this little hiking hill by our house. I've been doing that by myself or with the family. Last night after dinner, we just hooked up the dogs and the kids were on rollerblades and scooters and we just went on a walk and it felt amazing. Um... Journaling every day. Journaling is usually one that a lot of therapists recommend for anxiety. And again, the reason that that is so powerful is because you can write down everything. And then when you go back to read it, if you do, I even recommend getting a highlighter, going through and highlight everything that is not actually real in the moment. Was that happening in the moment? Was, you know, back to the example of, oh my God, my wife was late. Maybe she's in a car accident. Was she in a car accident or was she in traffic? You know what I mean? Go back and highlight all these things and then you will start to see the pattern of what your brain does when you're having anxiety. And maybe you'll be able to recognize it a little more when it happens in the future if you constantly reassess what's real, have radical acceptance for what's real, and what is in this gap world that we're living in with anxiety. So that's just a little bit of a little bit of sharing what I've been thinking about lately. Um, I know, like I said, 264 million people worldwide suffer from anxiety. This is not, this is not a one-off thing. You are not alone if you feel it. You are 
certainly in the company of many, many people. Um, and I hope that this information helps you. Um, I will put a link to the Harvard Business Review article that I read in the show notes if you'd like to read that. Um, I also highly recommend uh, Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart as a book to read. It is an entire book that she's been working on for, I think, over 20 years that literally just helps us understand emotions and the difference between the two. And it was very eye-opening for me to understand that anxiety and overwhelm and stress are three different things. So oftentimes having that knowledge can help us to address it better in our own lives. I'm wishing you all a wonderful week, weekend. Um, (laughs) I hope you have less anxiety this weekend. I hope you get some sunshine. And uh, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Unlearning University. Shoot me a DM if you have any responses to this episode or questions or would like resources. Um, And last thing before I go, if you would like, if we are hosting, uh, me along with three other women I know are hosting a Female Founders Night for Women in Business if you are in Ventura County and would like to come. Uh, It's a night of networking. We're going to do panel interviews with some successful women that are in all different fields um, that will answer questions, but also just to build your network of women in the area if you are in Ventura County, California. That's where I am. It'll be held on April 26th. I will put all the information in the show notes. Um, Your ticket includes your first beer, glass of wine, or non-alcoholic drink, and then you can order food and more beverages. It's going to be just a great night of connection and building other women up, and I'm really excited to be hosting it. So aside from that, I hope you have a great weekend. Share this episode with someone you know that struggles with anxiety. Um, Hopefully it can help them. It can help you, and I will see you next week. Bye. Hey, thanks again for tuning into another episode of Bold Boundaries. As always, my goal is for you to find help or hope in these episodes. So if you did and you're loving the show, would you do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and just give us a nice rating? It helps me produce more. It helps me reach more and just really supports the show and I'd appreciate it. And if not, that's totally fine. Don't worry about it. But I would like to hear from you. So if you want to connect with me outside of the podcast, you can find me on Instagram. I love to engage with you guys on there. My handle is at Unlearning University. That's where I show up the most on social and I'd love to connect with you there. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notifications whenever I release a new episode. And I hope to see you guys soon. And don't forget this podcast is a Blue Seal Media production in partnership with Unlearning University.